Welcome to Episode 17 of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Michelle Miscali, Senior Editor of Farm Exec Magazine. And I'm Kristen Harm, Associate Editor of Farm Exec Magazine. For those of you joining us for the first time, Farm Exec is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. So Kristen, what are we talking about on this episode? Today we're speaking with Martin Lau and Philip Lau of On Target Laboratories. One is a serial entrepreneur and the other is a scientist, and they're both brothers. They talk about having persistence when commercializing research and overcoming the various obstacles associated with it. And quite honestly, they're both hilarious. Yeah, they really were. Uh, so we'll get to Martin and Philip's interview after this quick break. What's up? The up-and-coming pharma and biotech leaders. You know, like how they got their start in the industry, why they picked the career they're in now, how they lead their teams, and predictions for what they think the future of the industry will look like. Actually, it's funny that you bring that up because it's time for PharmExec's annual Emerging Pharma Leaders program. All that you have to do is check out our website to read profiles on this year's class of leaders from across the world who are making an impact in the areas of biotech and pharma. Check out PharmExec.com for more. Joining us today is On Target Laboratories CEO and co-founder of the company, Martin Lau, and Philip Lau, whose work the company is based off of and who's a co-founder of the company. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the PharmExec podcast. Our pleasure. So before we get started, there's another fun fact that I think our listeners will enjoy hearing about that had a direct impact on how on-target laboratories was formed. Martin and Philip are actually brothers. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be a fun interview then, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, to start us off today, Martin and Philip, could you each tell us a little bit about yourselves and on-target laboratories? Um, so um, I'm the older brother, Philip, and... Um, I'm the Presidential Scholar in Drug Discovery at Purdue University, also the Ralph C. Corley Distinguished Professor of Chemistry. Uh, I have been at uh, Purdue University since 1976, uh, published over 450 articles in scientific journals. I've got more than 70 patents. I guess I've given more than 600 invited lectures at various universities, conferences, and medical schools. Um, I've started four successful companies, and I've been head of both the biochemistry division and also the director of the Institute of Drug Discovery at Purdue. And uh, I have enjoyed working with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if that's the same by the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell how easy it is for me to follow that introduction. <laughs> I will say also that our dad was a professor at Purdue, so um, and being the first child, Philip probably got more of those genes than I did. I my background is in business. I started off my career in strategy, worked for some consulting houses, and then eventually morphed over into becoming an entrepreneur and started um, six companies. Um, the most recent uh, on Target, which started in. 2011, January, and has uh, progressed to this point where we have a drug in phase three, a dr uh, same drug in a phase two in a different indication, ovarian and lung. 
So, uh, and multiple other molecules in various stages of development. Great. So, Philip, previously we talked a little bit about the process. It's been to get this um, technology out of the lab and commercialize it. Tell our listeners a little bit about what that has been like for you. Sure. Um, well, for quite a few years I've been working on developing the ability to target drugs very selectively to diseased cells, hopefully avoiding the uptake by healthy cells and the collateral toxicity associated with uh, the, the problems associated with good drugs going to healthy cells. And in the course of these studies, we developed a number of cancer-targeted therapeutic drugs that have gone into clinical trials, but a spin-off from this was to use these same homing molecules that would know where to go when you injected them into a patient. They would know, you know, how to go very selectively to cancer cells. We uh, decided to link these homing molecules up to a bright fluorescent dye and then hopefully use the uh, resulting drug conjugate, as we call it, to light up tumors so that the ca cancer surgeon would be able to see the malignant cells and remove them. And the motivation for that has always been that the most unequivocal and um, sure cure for cancer is to just cut it all out. And if the surgeon can find all of the diseased tissue and cut it out, then he or she can uh, cure the patient of the disease. So anyway, in, in the year 2000, uh, we started linking up our homing, our cancer homing molecules to uh, bright fluorescent dyes. And I started talking about it at a number of different meetings and uh, trying to interest outsiders in either participating in the development of the technology or helping with its funding, and I ran into actually very little enthusiasm. We published uh, our first study on the use of these tumor-targeted dyes in animals in the year 2003, and um, I think sub uh, between then and when we finally found an interested partner in 2009, I must have talked about it at 100 different uh, universities and medical schools. Uh, and uh, despite the fact I was very enthusiastic about it, it was very difficult to find anyone else that would be. <laughs> and I'm not really sure exactly what the cause of that was. But anyway, in the year 2009, someone heard me speak at a meeting and, in, and came up and introduced me afterwards to Dr. Gold Van Dam, a, a surgeon in Groningen, Holland, who had a tremendous interest in this same area of trying to find some way to illuminate tumors to enable the surgeon to see the, the cancer better, but didn't have a tumor-targeted fluorescent dye. He did, all, on the other hand, have a great camera and had uh, a lot of patients. And so uh, we worked together and introduced a folic acid, that's a vitamin, a vitamin, a folic acid, actually, the folic acid uh, vitamin is one of those homing molecules that has a very high affinity for cancer cells simply because cancer cells are very greedy for the vitamin, want lots of it because it's required for uh, cell division and they like to divide rapidly. Anyway, to get back to the topic, uh, he introduced a uh, folate-targeted fluorescent dye into human ovarian cancer patients and uh, found that uh, he was able to locate five times more malignant lesions with the aid of the fluorescent dye than using standard the standard tools of a surgeon, which 
are basically uh, feeling around palpation, touching the tumor. It's usually a lot more hard or solid than adjacent healthy tissue. And uh, visual inspection, it often looks a different color or shaped differently. And in the course of this study on the ovarian cancer patients, he, as I said, he found five times more malignant lesions with the aid of the fluorescent dye. And 100% of these fluorescent lesions turned out to be cancer. Anyway, just to come back to the, the topic, I think most of the people that I tried to interest in pursuing this just probably had difficulty perceiving what they really couldn't personally see and experience. I think that's not uncommon among our colleagues and friends today is that it's often hard to perceive what you can't see. And I also think that um, it would have been a lot easier had we been trying to introduce a drug in an area where there were already previous successful drugs. The fact that we were really exploring a whole new approach to surgery required that those that might be tempted to pursue it would have to be brave because there was no guarantee that this would succeed. And so I think there were two obstacles. And I, I'll let Marty go on and talk more about the problems we had with uh, commercialization and so forth. But it was just difficult winning over the confidence of people who were involved in the field of surgery that this would, in fact, be a revolutionary change to the process of surgery rather than uh, a failure that would embarrass them later on. <laughs> So based on your experience, what's the best piece of advice that you would give to other scientists when it comes to wanting to commercialize their research? Well, you know, I think, first of all, you don't want to waste your time on something that won't matter. So I, I would suggest uh, that other scientists interested in commercializing their discoveries should be their own worst critic. Really be very thorough to in evaluating the likelihood of success in humans, the uh, impediments, the pitfalls, the minefields that lie between the laboratory and the human clinical testing, make sure that they really understand what they are, the problems with raising money, the difficulties associated with recruiting patients and into a new technology that isn't guaranteed to help them, uh, problems with finding good leadership, CEO, a board, and so forth, to be very critical. And the other thing I would suggest is that um, if your technology does survive your own critical scrutiny, I think it makes sense to stick with it and learn how to sell it and don't uh, lose hope there. Uh, I mean, Marty and I can both attest, and, you know, I, as I say, I've started uh, four companies and all, and uh, and none of them has the road been smooth or easy. There's been uh, just many, many ups and downs, and I think it's smart not to get too far down when you have, uh, when you run into roadblocks and not too high <laughs> when things look very successful because the landscape will change pretty quickly regardless of where you are right now. So, you know, keeping a level uh, emotional outlook on things is a good idea. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that more later on in the podcast. Um, but I want to switch gears a little bit right now and go over to Martin. And obviously, you're not a scientist, but you're an entrepreneur by nature and have started several companies. Um, tell us how you convinced your brother to commercialize this research. It wasn't hard at all. I think he saw 
the end of the road and saw the value it bring to patients and to surgeons, he didn't need convincing much at all. And so the dialogue was not, gee, Philip, you should do this. It was, gee, Philip, how do we get this started? And fortunately, because of his success in prior companies, some of the early funding, in fact, the entirety of the early funding was was available because of the reputation he had already started in starting other companies. People believed in his science. And so it wasn't a huge leap for them to understand the idea of um, using the same targeting molecules he spoke of to illuminate for surgeons to see during surgery. And so the first step was actually very easy in terms of convincing him and the initial angel investors that helped us get started. But but I have to interrupt here. I was not brave enough to move forward with developments of this company. It took uh, Marty's actually vision, energy, and commitment to persuade me to take on another challenge like this. And, you know, in retrospect, it was a great decision, but uh, uh, it was beneficial to have Marty there who had business experience and was willing to carry the CEO load and run with this. To, I, and here's one of the dynamics, I think, of being brothers. I think the biggest concern was not that we could – make it successful, it was, did Philip have the bandwidth, given all that he had on his plate, and it was the right thing for him to do. And so a lot of the conversation was around his personal, you know, goals and such, that this was just the right personal decision to make. And it wasn't really focused as much on the business opportunity, because I think that we both saw that. We did both see the business opportunity, but uh, if you remember, Marty, I was scared silly of going back to one of my other companies that I'd started it, uh, and ask them for uh, a license to the technology because under the agreement we had through Purdue University with this other company, everything belonged to the other company that I I had discovered with their support, and this was something that was discovered with their support. So it it actually belonged to them. I wasn't – I – I was worried that they might look on me as a defector or a traitor or something if I went and asked them to use some of their technology to start another company, Marty. And I had no problem with that. (laughs) (laughs) He managed that extremely well. (laughs) That's actually one of – we were going to be talking about that later on in the podcast, but let's start actually talking about that right now. Um, Tell us how that happened. I mean, that stuff can get tricky, and I know we hear about that a lot. from from different people. So can you talk a little bit more about that, how you approached the situation, what made you feel comfortable actually doing that, and how it became mutually beneficial for everyone involved? Well, I think you just answered somewhat your own question, is that if you go into it approaching it, that everyone should benefit, and it's not about what I can get out of it. I think that attitude is healthy, and that's how we approached Phil's other company and said, here's a technology that is not moving forward. We'd like to move forward with it. What's um, in in your best interest, and how can we help you do that? And I think with that attitude, they were willing to work with us, and I fortunately knew the CEO of that company um, as well as Philip did, and so they were amenable to that. And and it worked out because I think we came in with that approach. You, would you add anything to that, Philip, of why it seemed to work? I think it was just the fact that 
you know, everyone approached it for a win-win, and so. Yeah, you know. I, I, yes, exactly. It 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 was. Um, I guess, I think you did a good job of selling that it was a, a win-win situation, and that they could benefit if we were successful, and so that put them on our side rather than on the other side. Uh, yeah. I, I also think that there was a gradual education of the other company that uh, I there was an obligation if there was technology sitting on the shelf that could save lives that they needed to let it go to, to yeah. let it go to get it out there where it could do some good rather than just uh, mm. park it on the shelf yep so not being from the pharma industry what have some of the challenges been for you as a CEO and what have you found most interesting and unique compared to other industries that you started businesses in? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, frankly, there have been minimal minimal challenges, but uh, I think there's been a lot of upside associated with it. I would say the, the biggest challenge is that the healthcare industry is loaded with um, titles, PhDs, MDs, et cetera. And so if you don't have those after your name, there's a level of credibility that you have to establish. But I find it generally that once you get involved with people, those things kind of slide to the side, which they should and they do. I think the benefit from coming from the outside and in the industry is that you just bring a whole new perspective. You know, you look at problems differently. You ask the question, why and why not? And I think any industry has um, the ability to have that critical approach and benefit by it. And I think coming from entrepreneurship, I understand the process. And what's interesting is, you know, I've started businesses in five different industries, and each industry believes that they have something unique and that they're the most difficult to crack and things, and I, that certainly was the case with healthcare. And I don't necessarily believe it. I had a hard time in, in solar roofing with the, um, you know, getting UA approval and, and, you know, being able to put it on roofs and et cetera, et cetera, very much like the FDA. And so I think... As you cross across industries and develop new businesses, I think the process is pretty much the same. Uh, you have to raise money. You have to convince people. You have to get them on your side. You have to have a, a solve a problem. Um, you have to articulate it well. And uh, we could do that with healthcare, as we could, as I could do it with other industries. So the benefit is that you bring a different perspective on things because you're not, you know, steeped in the tradition of a certain industry. So I have found it very enlightening, and I've loved it. I've learned an awful lot that I've appreciated. Um, and so small barrier, big upside from coming from an industry as, as I see it. Yeah, I think also you come in with a, a, a different vocabulary that helps enormously. I have a difficult time sometimes describing what we're doing in terms that would be uh, easily understood and appreciated by the business development arm of a lot of different companies um, simply because they come up through the business channels too. Marty, coming from a business background, can explain the, the uh, uh, chemistry and the science in terms that are easily understood by those that have to make the money spending decisions at big companies and at uh, uh, venture capital firms. This is a question for both of you. Have you guys ever worked together on a company before? No. <laughs> uh, um, we've learned, well, worked on a lot of other things before, but not a company. Project, we, used to, not we, we used to play a lot of basketball together, 
And we <laughs> learned as, during that course to never play on opposite teams because <laughs> it used to get pretty uh, intense. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. <laughs> but whenever we were on the same team, no one would ever beat us. We're both very large, and we both can score and, and rebound well and so forth. So it was a great combination then on the on the basketball court. That's awesome. <laughs> we're we're curious to hear um, from both of you what it's like to start a business with your brother. Is there ever any sibling rivalry? Do you guys have a strict no business talk at the Thanksgiving dinner table? The answer to that question is I believe that um, we have the same goal in mind. And so when you have the same goal in mind, some of the things that might come up as rivalries really are not that significant. And our goal is not only to to make it so that patients do better in, in cancer surgery, but our also goal is to have a good time together and to enjoy each other's company and and we do that uh you know when we get together we talk as much about Purdue sports or golf or our kids or travel as we do on target and it has enabled us to spend a lot more time together than we could have otherwise i live in philadelphia he lives in west lafayette indiana we see each other more we go on walks together it's really been a good a good experience yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I've really gotten – it's been nice to spend a lot more time with my brother uh, that I, than I would have otherwise. We have a lot in common, as Marty mentioned, outside of the field of business. In fact, this was a whole new dimension for us to explore a, uh, a business interaction with each other. Um, but it has just given us opportunity to uh, enhance our interactions in our uh, private lives, so it's been a good experience. Hopefully and I think, and I, and and to be honest, that doesn't necessarily mean we haven't had disagreements. Yeah. But I have found that I was just most. Going to ask you about that. I was just going to ask you about that. that was... <laughs> <laughs> we we have had. I mean, of course, you're going. Of course, you're going to have disagreements. You know, we all have passionate views about certain things and how to manage, how to take what technology and things like that. And um, I think it um, works out for a couple reasons. One is we respect each other, which I think is critical to the whole underlying premise here. And two, we have the end goal in mind. And so um, a lot of times these differences really don't matter. And I think you have to appreciate that and realize what the end goal is. Or in some cases, you know, even if the differences do matter, you understand that the outcome is really uh, the most important, Yep. Um, you know, deliverable out, out of this whole interaction, and you don't want to sacrifice the outcome for uh, petty differences that might arise along the way. So you, and at times you have to kind of, uh, you know, bite your tongue or swallow your mm. thoughts. <laughs> but yes, uh, you do. In the end, when you think about it a few days later, you're glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Probably relate to that. You have siblings. I, I'm the only child, so I can't relate to that part of it, but I'm sure you can. Yeah, I actually love your story because my brother is a web developer, and I keep uh, sending him these really outlandish ideas for apps that I think would go viral if we created them. So it's really nice to hear that it wouldn't be a complete disaster if we, you know, were able to do that. <laughs> No, we we know how we know how to laugh. I think another thing is just good humor, and we laugh at our mistakes. We laugh, laugh at each other and with each other. 
we know each other pretty well, and so there's some idiosyncrasies um, that we all, you know, take advantage of and laugh at. My brother always say, says, the fact of the matter is, and so every time he says that, he probably doesn't realize I just chuckle inside because we know each other so well. <laughs> I'll be careful on that terminology. <laughs> I didn't know I was that repetitive with it. <laughs> If I'd have been scared of this uh, from this experience, I wouldn't have started a company with my son, who's uh, has been a postdoc in my lab, and so uh, we actually recently started a company aimed at accelerating the rate of bone fracture repair. And uh, so I'm jumping into bed again with another member of my family uh, in anticipation that the outcome will be equally positive. Wow, that's amazing! I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, we didn't know that. That's that's great. Yeah, we just got an SBIR grant. For I saw that. Point seven million dollars, and got some other money in, so we're off to a good start. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't. I was going to congratulate you on that. I just yeah. saw that. Fantastic. It's good. Yeah. So it's interesting that you talked about laughter because I actually told Kristen before we started the podcast that when I talked to you guys in kind of the pre-interview and I've talked to you previously, that you two were two of the most hilarious people, business people that I've spoken <laughs> to in a long time, and that you were just so down to earth and everything that you were saying was really great and you were funny and you both complimented each other. So wonderful. Yeah, yeah it's honestly been a-, a pleasure speaking to you guys today, so thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And now it's time for this week's leadership tip from Pharma Execs. My name is Marty Lau. I am CEO of OnTarget. And my leadership tip is to give people ownership, whether it be an opportunity or a problem, have them own it, and they will do well in, in solving it. And my name is Philip Lau. I am Chief Science Officer and Founder of OnTarget Laboratories. And my leadership tip is that a good leader should be able to envision what will make the company successful several years or months down the road, and then design a critical path that will lead directly to this endpoint objective, and finally have the courage and fortitude to stick to that critical path. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, or on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director lisa.henderson at ubm.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at todd.baker at ubm.com.